So imagine with me, it's the end of the year. It's the end of the year. Christmas is a few weeks away, and you have killed it. You have crushed it at work all year. You came in early, you stayed late. When your coworkers were out fishing or golfing, you were at the office, right? You hit your deadlines, you got assigned the biggest projects, the company was growing, and everyone would acknowledge you. It was unmistakable, you were a big reason why. And on top of that, you did all this for a boss who was hard to please, a bit prickly, known to be a little severe, not quick to hand out praise, but still you thought through all of this, surely he'll be pleased. There's no way that he could have overlooked, not seen what I've done, no way he can hold back what I've earned. And then it comes, I think you know where this is going, the Christmas bonus. Right, And you open the envelope with great anticipation and what's inside but a one-year membership to the Jelly of the Month Club. <laughs> it, is the ki- it is the gift that keeps on giving all year. And if your Clark Griswold cousin Eddie will come to the rescue, justice will be done. The family will get their swimming pool. But in your life, you know You've experienced that wrongs aren't always righted. Bosses don't always have a change of heart. And that in this life, we even learn from a very young age that our good behavior, our good deeds, our striving to do what is right in the sight of God is not always rewarded. And so if you don't have a cousin Eddie to save the day, friends, What do you do when life is unjust? When evil isn't punished? When good isn't praised? What is your response? You know, because I think it's easy to respond with respect and honor to the boss who praises and rewards your good works. No one is eager to pay taxes, at least that's been my experience. But if we believe the government is doing its job well, I think taxes are an easier pill to swallow. Right? Students, students, do you find that you work harder for the teachers who are fair and helpful and interested in you? I know I did. You know, when those in authority over us are good and gentle and just, things flourish. Life is better. We feel more secure. It's why the Bible gives us plenty of instruction about what kind of people, the character requirements, the kind of people who are to have authority and leadership in the church. We know that good authority makes a positive difference. But in this life, in our fallen world, you will not always have bosses and teachers, supervisors, government officials who are good and gentle and just. And so, life will be unjust at times. And that's what our passage this morning is about. It's about how we respond as Christians when our good is met with evil. 
See, there's nothing more unjust than having to suffer and to experience sorrows for doing what is good and what is pleasing to God. Nothing shows the brokenness of our world quite like that. And it's not what any of us want. It's not how things are supposed to be. And we know that it's not how things will always be. But what I want to show you this morning is that when life is unjust, when your good is met with evil, when there's cruel blowback for your kindness, when life is unjust, our good conduct can endure. And in fact, we can thrive in the unjust times. Right? As people who follow and belong to Jesus Christ, we can respond like him when life is unjust. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to First Peter as we continue in our study of this letter. We'll be in chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. We know that servants were vulnerable. That if you were a servant in the first century in the Greco-Roman world in which Peter is writing, life could be very harsh because your life was in the hands of someone else. And there wasn't much of a way to find relief. There wasn't a, always a way out of a difficult situation. And so as we see in verse 18, Peter knows that there will be Christians who occupy that role in society as a servant who will have masters, supervisors, overseers who will fail to praise and reward what's good. He's telling them very plainly, very realistically, that they can do everything right, never steal or slack off or rebel and still suffer for it. It tends to be our expectation and our experience that our good works receive praise. 
And we tend, I think, to think it's our right. I mean, we can throw ourselves a good little pity party when our good isn't recognized and made much of by others. You know, as a kid, I thought making my bed, keeping my room clean deserved special recognition. Dare I say, even monetary compensation. (laughs) And because I had good and gentle parents who wanted to praise my good works, as meager as they were, they were recognized and rewarded. Because that's what good authority does can also tell you that they were not bashful about punishing my rebellious behavior. And over time, I came to learn that that is also what good authority does. So students, kids in the room, it is good that your parents will put a check on your rebellious behavior. Right? That's the kind of experience we all desire. And we should all use our authority wherever we have it. It might be in the workplace. It might be in school, in church, at home. We should always strive to use our authority to create those kind of conditions where good is praised and evil is checked. But what Peter's saying here is if you're in a situation, and we will find ourselves in in these situations, He's saying if you're in a situation where your good isn't rewarded by those directly over you, he's saying you are not left with nothing. There is a better reward for you from God that no earthly master or boss or teacher or coach could ever give. There's a gift for those who endure a righteous Suffering. So look again at verse 19 in the end of verse 20. Peter says, This is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Did you hear that? Twice. Peter says that it's a gracious thing thing to suffer unjustly. As strange as it sounds, what Peter is saying here is that this is actually a gift to you. Peter's saying to these servants, these people who are counted as nothing, who aren't treated with any dignity, he's saying to these individuals who are overlooked by their society, who are nothing in their culture, He's saying, you, you have God's favor. That grace is coming into your life and that this is a gift that a rebellious world will never receive. But how's that true? How can Peter call suffering in this way a gift? I think it's that Peter understands that some gifts Some things can only come to us through a shared experience. You know, there's a scene in Band of Brothers where a German officer is speaking to his troops as he surrenders to the Allied forces. And listen to what he says about what they experienced in the war together. He says, men, it's been a long war. 
It's been a tough war. You fought bravely, proudly for your country. You're a special group. You have found in one another a bond that exists only in combat among brothers. You've shared foxholes, held each other in dire moments. You've seen death and suffered together. You found in one another a bond. So what's the gift? It's that bond. It's that closeness. It's that nearness. So here's what Peter's saying. He's saying to these powerless servants, these disregarded servants, these servants who are abused for doing good, he's saying, you are close to Christ. That they know his experience in a way that others cannot. Jonathan Edwards said, you know, there's a great difference between being told that honey is sweet and actually tasting it for yourselves. I think that this is what this is saying. That there's a way to know about grace, know about what Jesus did for us, and there's a deeper way to get close to experiencing what he experienced on our behalf. And so do you see how powerful God is? How nothing is outside of his control. Because God is able to take the evil of these unjust masters who are intent on inflicting suffering and sorrow on their servants. They're intending nothing good to come out of this. And God is so powerful and in control and sovereign that he can take the evil of these unjust masters and use it to bless the lowest of the low. You know, teenagers, I understand the pull to avoid embarrassment and mockery among your peers. I get it. I really do. And I know that there's a way to go with the crowd and avoid the ridicule that comes from doing what God commands, what's pleasing to him, what no one else is doing. Right? Adults feel the same tug. What the Bible is saying here is that dodging some temporary discomfort and sorrow is a very cheap gift. It's a gift that has a very short expiration date. It's nothing. It is nothing like knowing, it is nothing like the gift of knowing in a real, personal way what Christ experienced as he was mocked and abandoned and treated with contempt for doing God's will. Your goal in life, it cannot be to avoid suffering at all cost. Because sometimes in that suffering and in that sorrow are God's greatest and most precious of blessings. We all must be careful about what we value. What we determine and think is best for our souls. We must not put too high a premium on a life without suffering. 
And I'm not saying we need to fake smiles and act like all is right with the world. But Christians, we need to understand that the unjust times are not without value. That they are not devoid of purpose. That God does, in fact, and have the authority and the power and the wisdom to bring us good through a trial and through a sorrow and through suffering. And so if your good is met with evil this week, remember, there's a better reward. There's a better reward than the praise of men. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, Peter says later in this letter, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In other words, sometimes in God's mysterious providence, in a fallen world, sometimes to be near to God means you have to pass through the door of righteous suffering. But that is where we're called to go. We pass through that door because we're called to follow in Christ's steps. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. And that word for example here is a term that refers to a teaching tool. It was a, it was a pattern of letters that children would trace as they learned to write. You know, Peter's saying that we're to trace our lives over Jesus's. And if you think this is coming from Peter, the same Peter who made the loudest protest when Jesus told his disciples that he would suffer and be killed in Jerusalem. When Peter heard that, he was like, time out. That's not how things need to go. Give us, give us some time. We can come up with a better, less painful plan for you. You see, earlier, earlier in Peter's life, he wanted a different pattern for Jesus' life. He thought he was Jesus' agent, that it was, if, it was his job to go out and secure a better deal for his client. But that's not Peter's job. Because the pattern of Jesus' life was already set. It was already written down long before Peter or any of us came on the scene. And that pattern was given to the prophet Isaiah. Because Peter, in verses 22 to 25, he is quoting from Isaiah 53 where our assurance of parting came from. See, it's where Isaiah speaks about a coming, suffering servant whose path to glory is not around suffering, but right through the heart of it. And so listen to how Isaiah 53 ends. It says, Out of the anguish of his, that is Christ, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, 
and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. See, Jesus' achievement, the fulfillment of his life's mission emerged out of his anguish, anguish caused by our sins. And so while we aren't making atonement for our sins, I do think anguish, suffering, as we follow in Christ's steps in this life happens, this anguish and suffering happens because we are dying to the sins that Christ paid for. See, you can avoid, and we know this to be true, you can avoid some suffering in this life by answering the sins of others with your own. Right? Maybe it's putting an end to insults with better insults of your own. Right? Maybe it's getting even with your employer by pilfering at work. See, responding to sin with sin, it gives us this temporary relief, this momentary pleasure that it can feel good in the moment. You know, the unjust boss ridicules you in front of your coworkers, making you feel small. And you come home angry and bitter, so you neglect your family and you drown your sorrows in alcohol. Someone at school spreads a nasty rumor about you, and you return the favor by wrecking her reputation on social media. Right? It all, it all feels good in the moment. But it is never a path to glory. Right? The path to glory as we follow Christ is to come home, love your family, Show up at work the next day on time and honor the boss by working hard. You choose to silence his ignorance by continuing to do good. You decide to return the ridicule with a blessing. The path to glory is to guard your tongue from speaking evil about the girl who embarrassed you with a lie. The path to glory is to devote your time not to destroying her reputation, but to devote your time in prayer for her. That's a much harder path. And all those things, returning good for evil, they are going to cost you some anguish. There is an internal price to pay. And so where is that struggle for you? Where in this past week, this month, the past year, are you tempted to answer sin with sin? As Christians, we've got to be willing and ready to fight against the flesh, to pay that cost, because that's what we need. We need that transformation at the heart level. It's, it is easy to return a blessing for a blessing. 
It's a common thing to work hard for the good boss, the good teacher. But Jesus said, what credit is that? Jesus gives us a harder pattern to follow. Where we repay the sins of others with our obedience to God. And so as we close up, how are we going to follow this pattern? How in the world is this doable? Because it seems so, it seems so far beyond us. You know, there's a scene in Lewis's The Horse and His Boy. It's one of the, the Narnia books. And Aslan reveals himself to the main character, Shasta, that all through his journey, Aslan has been at his side even when he didn't know it. And so when Aslan makes himself known, here's what he says. He says, I was the lion who forced you to join Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last smile so that you would reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion you do not remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat, wakeful at midnight, to receive you. You hear what Aslan's saying? The whole time throughout your journey, you have never, for one moment, been alone. He wasn't directing or defending his own life. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Look, not only is our shepherd always at our side, leading us, directing us, defending us, this is the very one who went to the cross with our, with our sins. So do you understand what that means? It means that there is no place Jesus won't go to be with us. That there has never been a situation in all the world that is too intense for him. And if he was willing to go to the cross with our sins, he's willing to be with us, to be near to us today in whatever we face, to bring us his strength, to refresh us with his grace, to give us his spirit of power and self-control. That is what we need. That is what you need when you're feeling the heat of an unjust world. So how's it doable to answer evil with good? How do we endure doing good when it brings us suffering and sorrow? The answer is because you do not belong to this world and its patterns. You are in exile, which means that you are just passing through this life. And as you pass through this life, you belong, body and soul, to Jesus Christ, who is so committed to your righteousness, 
so committed to you, so committed to be with you for all eternity that he took the heat of God's wrath for you on the cross. Don't think for a moment that this Jesus will shy away or be timid about being with you in these evil days. Do you understand that you belong to the most courageous man who ever lived? And he's also good and gentle. He is the shepherd and overseer of your soul. He is, as Charles Wesley said, the lover of your soul. So we can say, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high, hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven guide, O receive, O receive my soul at last. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for the gift of your life, for the gift of continuing to be with us. So as we prepare to come to your table, we thank you that by the power of your spirit, you meet us here. We ask that as we partake of the bread and drink from the cup, we would be reminded of your grace that is sufficient for all that is ahead. In your name we pray, amen.